Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Please join me in prayer. Let's uh, ask God to be the one speaking to us today through his word. Um, So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for uh, giving us your son, Jesus, who is the one mediator between God and man. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And God, we pray that you would open our minds, open our understanding, and speak to us by your spirit through your word and make us see the truth of your gospel. And ultimately, God, we want to glorify you, that everything that we do would be glorifying to you, that everything that I say would be glorifying to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, today we're talking about the Reformation. Uh, In October 31st, why do we celebrate on October 31st? Halloween? All Saints Day? Okay, I think that's November 1st. Uh, but on October 31st, one of the things, one of the historical events that we remember is that in the year 1517, a Catholic monk named Martin Luther, uh, he wrote 95 theses and he nailed them to the door of the castle church in uh, Wittenberg or Wittenberg or I don't know. Sorry, I'm from Mexico, guys. Um, he nailed them to the castle church, to the door of the castle church, and uh, he had already been feeling uncomfortable and unhappy with a lot of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but when he wrote the 95 Theses, he didn't really know what the 95 Theses was going to spark. He didn't know at the time that that night of the, or that you know when he when he nailed them when he posted them. Uh, he didn't know that that would begin a movement that would alter the course of of history forever. He didn't know that he was beginning a movement that would change history, right? The the Reformation didn't just change Germany, where Luther was, but it actually made it to France, it made it to England, made it to Scotland, made it to... Poland made it to to Spain, made it to, you know, across the pond, made it to to the American continent, and it basically transformed the the course of history. And the reason he posted them on uh, October 31st was precisely because the next day, November 1st, was going to be All Saints Day. And in other words, that was going to be a day where the church was going to make bank by selling indulgencies so that those people who had uh, dead relatives, they could ensure the salvation of their dead relatives by buying indulgencies. This, of course, was a campaign to finance some uh, expenses by the Pope and by you know, other people in power. And basically, they came up with the grand idea of saying, hey, what if we sell these things? We're going to finance a lot of uh, the, you know, the, the I, I, 
you know, I'm not a, I'm not a history Reformation expert, but if, if I remember correctly, I think this was to finance the 15th chapel. Um, but anyway, the point being, um, this movement of the Reformation started. And so I'm not, we're not going to go through the, through the history of the Reformation here. Really what I want us to go through is what is known to us as the five solas of the Reformation. And I will explain what those are in a moment. But uh, basically the five solas were not necessarily something that all of the reformers got together and said, hey, let's, let's come up with five points or five doctrines that teach exactly what we want to say with the Reformation. Rather, the five solas came out a little bit more organically in that in the writings of all of these reformers, uh, these five solas, these five commitments kept, kept coming up and then eventually someone put all five together. But uh, the Reformation was not something new. It was not the invention of something new. Rather, it was the return to something old. It was a returning to something original. It was a returning of the word of God as the final source of authority. So I want to quote a, a, a guy named Stephen Nichols, and he, he is a historian, and he wrote, uh, the church had lost sight of the gospel because it had long ago papered over the, over the pages of God's word with layer upon layer of tradition. Mere tradition often brings about systems of works, of earning your way back to God. It was true of the Pharisees, and it was true of medieval Roman Catholicism. Didn't Christ himself say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Reformation Day celebrates the joyful beauty of the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. So ultimately, what the Reformation was doing was bringing the church back, bringing believers back to the Bible as the sole source of our authority. It was bringing the church back to Christ as the only mediator between God and man. It was bringing the church back to faith as the only means by which we are saved. Um, it was bringing the church back to grace alone which is the only reason why we are saved. And ultimately, it was bringing the church back to, to glorifying God alone because salvation ultimately belongs to him. So let's go through the five solas. Uh, basically, they are sola, and this is Latin, by the way. I'm not a Latin expert, but Jordan, it, where's Jordan? Jordan is a Latin expert. No, that was supposed to be a joke for him, but he's not even here. So anyway, Jordan is a Latin teacher, or one of the classes that he teaches at school is Latin. So I wanted to, to give him a, a gentle burn there. But anyway, so the five solas are, uh, are in Latin. And the first one is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone or the Bible alone. Uh, the next one is solus Christus, which means Christ alone. The next one is sola fide, which means through faith alone or by faith alone. The next one is sola gratia, which means through grace alone. And the last one is soli deo gloria, which means glory to God alone. Okay, so let's talk through them. And uh, yeah, the first one is sola scriptura. And basically this, this conviction is a conviction that the Bible, that scripture alone is the source of divine revelation and therefore the only authority over the faith and life of the church. 
This was actually, it, it, it was the, the, the one that started it all in that at the time that, that Martin Luther wrote his theses, um, the word of God, the Bible, it was not accessible to most people, right? Most of the, the only people that could access the Bible were those who knew Latin because they only had the Bible in Latin. And it was so, even of those who knew Latin, they had to have a certain uh, high ranking role within the church to even be able to read the Bible. And so one of the greatest things that happened in the Reformation is that the Bible was translated to the common language of the people so that anyone who knew how to read, they could read the word of God. And, and so this concept of sola scriptura was saying, all right, if the Bible is the word of God, which we believe, we are convicted that it is, then shouldn't the Bible be our sole source of authority? And the problem is that for the church, uh, for, the, for the Roman Catholic Church, it wasn't. And it continues not to be the only source of authority, but they would add tradition, church tradition, as another source of authority on equal, uh, on, on par with the scriptures, with the word of God. And so basically they would say, yes, the Bible is God's word for us. It is, it is God's revelation for us, but church tradition is also God's revelation for us. And we follow the two equally. But what the reformers were saying was, no, absolutely not. The word of God alone, scripture alone, is the source of God's revelation. And therefore, it should be our authority over faith and life, over the faith and the life of the church. Now, this is not to say that church tradition is evil or to say that leaders or pastors or, or councils or creeds or confessions or denominations is not to say that those things are evil in and, of, in and of themselves. It is to say that only the word of God carries final authority over the life and faith of the church. And all of those things that I mentioned, leaders, traditions, uh, confessions, etc., as they have to be submitted to the word of God as their source of authority, right? So if we have a, a confession that someone wrote, or if there is a pastor, even, you know, even uh, me and Jordan, if through the word of God, you guys determine that what we are teaching or that what a council has said or that what a confession has written, if we determine through the word of God that those things are not in line with the word of God, then those things are to be rejected and the word of God is to stand, right? The word of God is the only one that is inspired by God. And so, for example, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. The word of God, all scripture is breathed out by God. Then we also see in 2 Peter 1, verse 19, which by the way, in our gospel communities, we are studying through 2 Peter right now. So if you're not a part of a gospel community, we invite you to join one of our gospel communities. But that was just a commercial. 2 Peter 1, verse 19 says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, 
knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, God through, the, through His Holy Spirit, inspired these human authors to write the Word of God. And so what we have in the Bible is the final authority for the church. Now, at the time of Luther, there was a need for reformation, right? They didn't even have a Bible in their own language. But I believe that today there is also need for reformation in that even though we have a Bible, not just one Bible, we have tons of different translations of the Bible, Christians today sadly still do not read the Bible. Christians today sadly still do not consider the Bible their final authority. I've spoken to people who call themselves Christians, and then when you ask them about the Bible, they say, we, I haven't even read the, through the Bible once, right? Or, or there are people who are, who are Christians, who call themselves Christians, and then they would say, yeah, you know what? I actually don't read my Bible that, that often. I, can, I struggle to read the Bible, right? And I, and I don't say this to guilt you because I struggle with reading the Bible as well. At the same time, I do have a job that brings me to the Bible all the time. So I'm really thankful for that. But my exhortation, my encouragement for all of us is that if we truly believe that the Word of God, that the, that the Bible is the final source of authority on life and faith for the church and for individual believers, then we need to come to the Bible. If we want to learn from God's will, if you want to know what God's will for you is, don't just, you know, pray about it and, and then don't do anything about it. Pray about it and go to the Bible. That's where God's will for you is written. I've encountered so many Christians that when you bring up anything that has to do with, with a serious reading and understanding of the word of God, they, they, they don't like that. They don't like reading the Bible seriously and systematically and thoughtfully. They rather just pray and say, you know what? I want God to basically download this information into my mind. But we have the word of God through which God has already revealed himself. And therefore, we as Christians need reformation that we need to come back to the word of God. Okay, um, let's move on to the next, to the next uh, sola, which is solus Christus. Um, now that we've established that the Bible is God's revelation and not human tradition or, or not the, the church or not councils or any of the sort, but the Bible is the source of uh, final authority for the, for the church, for the believer, we see in the Bible, we see in the Word of God that Christ, that Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man. Right? Only Jesus is the mediator between God and man, the one who stands between God and us. Right? In, second, uh, sorry, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. At the time of the Reformation, unfortunately, the church had made it so that the one mediator between God and man was the Pope. And then even then, they had made it so that the once mediating between God and man would be the priests. And so if you wanted to receive any form of grace, 
you would have to go to the priests and you would have to receive the sacraments that, were, that could only be administered by a priest. And that was really your only hope of receiving mediation, right? You didn't have any other mediator. But we know from the word of God that the only mediator who can stand between us and God is Christ Jesus, right? Not another man, not a priest, not an angel, not the Virgin Mary, not anything else but Christ. Christ is the only perfect man who lived the perfect life that neither of us could live and who died the death that all of us deserve and who rose again and who ascended and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for us. He is the one mediator between us and God. If we have any hope of of, of reaching God, of being in the presence of God, of entering the kingdom of God, the only door of entry is Jesus Christ, the one mediator. Salvation is given to us by the work of Christ alone, the merits of Christ alone, the priesthood of Christ alone, the mediation of, the mediation of Christ alone, we do not need any other human but Christ alone, the God-man. And this is one of the reasons why every Sunday, and, and not just every Sunday, but in everything that we do as a church here at Kaleo, we try to put Christ at the center of what we do, right? Because we believe that the scriptures that are God's authority over us, we believe that the scriptures are ultimately all about Christ. They point us to Christ. And so we try to preach Christ in every message that we preach. We try to talk about Christ in the meetings that we have. We, we, we pray uh, uh, in the name of Christ. Christ is all for us. And then the next sola is sola fide, which means uh, by faith alone. And basically, this sola stood against the idea that justification that salvation, that having a right standing with God could be achieved through one's works, right? What the, basically the teaching was, if you receive all the sacraments, if you come to church, it, you know, to all the, all the uh, important dates for the church, and, and if you perform well enough, and if you buy some indulgencies as well, then you can be saved. You can be justified before God, right? It's, it's a constant thing where you have to sacrifice every day and you have to go uh, to church every day. And then finally, you will be able to be justified. But what the gospel was saying is that justification is achieved through faith alone in Christ alone. It was not this idea of come and work and labor and then you will be saved. But it was this idea of come Trust and believe, and you will be saved, right? And, and let's be clear, faith is not what saves us. Christ is the one who saves us. But we put our, our faith in Christ alone because he is the only one that can save us. In Galatians 2.16, uh, if, if you want to look more into this idea of salvation by faith, I recommend that you go to Galatians, the, book, the letter to the Galatians. But what Paul says in Galatians 2.16 is this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith 
in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There is absolutely no one that can obey the law, that can obey God to the point that you can be saved, right? None of us can, can obey the law enough to come to God's presence and twist his arm and say, you have to save me because I performed well enough, right? That, that is absolute, that would be absolute blasphemy, right? The only hope that we have for salvation is believing in the work that Jesus already accomplished for us. Paul continues in Galatians, uh, in Galatians 2 and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And this is not just for Paul. It is for all of us who have trusted in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then listen to this. I do not nullify the grace of God for his righteousness I'm sorry, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If I could save myself by obedience to the law, then why would Jesus have to die? What was the point of Jesus dying, right? But because I cannot save myself because obedience to the works of the law, I need the sacrificial death of Jesus in order to gain his righteousness and be forgiven of my sin. So Kaleo, my, my encouragement, uh, specifically related to this, to this point of sola, sola fide, I think that we need, I think the temptation for us sometimes could be to live our lives as if justification and salvation was dependent on our works. This, this is a subtle thing, right? Because ultimately, a, a true faith will obey the works of the law, right? Like, we're not saying, oh, just have faith in Jesus and then do whatever you want. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, have faith in Jesus and that justification that he gives you will lead you to obedience of the works of the law. But I think the struggle for Christians is sometimes we, we kind of, uh, uh, we kind of switch those around and we live our lives as if we could be justified by our own works. And that becomes such a burdensome lifestyle. And some of the symptoms of that lifestyle, I'll just give you two. One symptom of a lifestyle in which you are trying to justify yourself by the works of the law is that you will not be able to defeat sin in your life. You will keep asking yourself, man, why do I keep sinning? And you're just going to feel guilty and, and you're going to feel like you cannot, you cannot uh, enter God's presence and pray to him and talk to him. But this is because you are still trying to justify yourself through the works of the law. But when you understand that your justification has already been gained by Christ and you simply put your faith in him, then you will, be, you will have victory over sin and you will feel the love of God and the confidence of entering into his presence. This also changes our outlook on evangelism. 
right? One of, I mentioned that one of the things that happened at the Reformation is that the Bible was translated into a lot of different languages. And another thing that happened because of the Reformation was that evangelism started to happen again, right? Because if salvation and justification is only accomplished through faith in Christ, then the logical step is that we need to preach the gospel of faith in Christ to those who have not been saved. This is, this is Paul's argument in Romans 10, 9, right? He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? So he is saying everyone who calls on the name of God, everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. And then listen to what he says next. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe, in, to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So those of us who are convinced that salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone, will also be some of the most zealous evangelists out there because we know that there are people out there who still need to believe in Jesus for salvation. All right, the next sola is sola gratia, which means through grace alone. If salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, then this means that our salvation is utterly dependent on God. Our salvation is by God's grace alone and not by human merit. Okay, so the, 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 the last two was, uh, you know, it is through Christ alone in that he is our only mediator. Uh, the one before that is uh, uh, scripture alone and not human tradition is uh, uh, the, the source of God's revelation and authority for the church. Uh, the, the one on faith is it is only through faith and not works that we can be justified. And this, and this one is it's only by God's grace and not by human merit that we are saved. In other words, why did God save you? Have you ever thought about this? Why did God save you? If your answer is anything other than because he wanted to save me, then you still don't understand the grace of God, right? If your answer is, well, you know, because I had this, you know, leaning toward him or because I had this interest in God or because I grew up in a Christian family or because I was born in a in a nation where Christianity is the, the main religion or because of my goodness or because of my works or because of my character or because of my intelligence, my insight, 
my social status, because of my obedience, because of my righteousness, right? Any of those answers is absolutely the wrong answer. God saves people because he wants to. And that's it. Here is a a quote from um, James Montgomery Boyce, and he's writing precisely on this topic, and he says, Sinners have no claim upon God, none at all. God owes them nothing but punishment for their sins. And if he saves them in spite of their sins, it is only because it pleases him to do it and for no other reason. God doesn't owe anything to anyone. He doesn't owe salvation to any of us. And yet in his grace, he gives us the gift of salvation because he wants to. Salvation is not an act of, you know, cooperation between God and man, right? Salvation is not this thing where we put 50% and God puts 50%. Or if, you're, if you think you're a little more humble, you say, well, I put 10% and God puts 90%. Or even if you're like trying to go like super humble and say, I put 1% and God puts 99%, that is still wrong. Salvation is 100% God's unmerited gift to us. Listen how God describes himself when he's, when he's talking to Moses. In Exodus 33, 19, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And then he says, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God is completely sovereign, completely non-dependent on human, uh, on human effort and, and will or anything of the sort. He has mercy on whom he has mercy. Um, can you turn to Ephesians chapter 2? And I want us to, to see this together here, uh, just to know what we contribute to our salvation. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, you're going to see what we contribute to our salvation. You're going to see uh, our helpless state before God saved us. Verse 1. And you, this you is talking ultimately to all of us, right? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It doesn't say you were half dead, you were dying, you were, no, you were dead in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a a, a super grim picture, right? We're dead, we're blind, we're following Satan, we're enemies of God, we're we're, uh, slaves to even to our own flesh and our own mind. We are completely without hope in this world. And then look at verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then listen to this. This, this really tells us how we were saved. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It doesn't get any clearer than this, right? We were saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And it says right there, right? In, in case that any of us would say, well, but I worked a little bit toward it. It says, not by works. What would happen if we could be saved by works? We could boast, right? We could say, well, yeah, you know, the same thing I'm doing. Like God, God put 99%, but I put the 1%, right? I think an example has been given of, imagine that you buy a bicycle for your little kid and no, that's not, let me give a different example. I, sorry. Imagine that someone comes to you and says, hey, I have a ginormous debt of $100,000. And you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to pay for this. I, I feel called and I'm just going to pay for it. And then that person says, well, 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 here, I'm going to put two cents. And then goes around telling people, hey, look, uh, him and I pay the debt together. Right? That, that, that's terrible. That's offensive. But the analogy breaks in that we don't even have two cents to save ourselves. It's 100% God. Otherwise, we could boast. Otherwise, we could earn our salvation. And again, Christ would have died in vain. So understanding that God saved us by his grace alone, not by, not, not by our own merit, should make us the most humble people of all, right? This should be simple. This should be obvious, but I don't know why. Sometimes we have this awful tendency to say, oh, you know, I believe that God saved me by his grace alone. And then for whatever reason, become uh, uh, boastful or, or, or presumptuous that we've understood these things. But if we truly understood these things, we would be the most humble people of all. Because we would know that there is nothing that we could have offered God for him to save us. Or in the words of Jonathan Edwards, the only thing you contributed to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> right? So we should be the most humble people of all. And then again, just briefly another again another one of the outcomes of understanding these doctrines is that we should proclaim the gospel to the lost right with the past one you could say well yeah you know ben that that's logical right if people are saved by faith in christ then we should preach the gospel uh uh so that they can have faith in christ but some people might look at this one and say wait a second are you telling me that we don't have anything to do in our salvation that god saves people because he wants to save them how can you say then that we should preach the gospel well, because that was, that was what, that was, that, sorry, that was what Paul did. That was his conclusion, right? He taught all of these doctrines. And in 2 Timothy 2.10, he says, Therefore, 
I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul didn't just sit back and say, well, you know, if God saves people, I'm just going to let him save people. He says, if God saves people, then I'm going to go and preach the gospel knowing that I have a guaranteed outcome to the preaching of the gospel. All right, and then the last one, and this shouldn't really be the last one. This should be in all of them, or this should be the, the, the bookends of all of them, is soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And I mean, this, this should flow easily by now, right? If we understand that God, through his word, is our authority, if we understand that Christ is our only mediator, if we understand that we are saved by faith alone, not by our works, not by our doing, not by our merit, if we understand that God in his grace decided to save us, then the only logical response should be glory be to God, right? Not glory to anything or anyone else, but glory be to God, our Savior. Some uh, hundred years after the beginning of the Reformation, there was another uh, you know, another rediscovery of something. And it was that someone suggested, hey, what if, what if the, the, the earth is not the center of the universe? Well, what if actually the sun is at the center and the earth is traveling around the sun, right? That was uh, uh, suggested by uh, Galileo, wasn't Copernicus? Okay, sorry, my bad. I should have written it down. But yeah, Galileo. And it was accepted in the, in the 1600s, slowly accepted. But basically what the Reformation was doing was putting God at the center of the universe. It was taking man out of the center and putting God at the center because our human tendency is to put ourselves at the center. We will always try to put ourselves at the center either by our merits, our works, our power, our intelligence, our doing, our, our whatever it is that we can put from us at the center, we will do it. But the gospel, the gospel is such good news and yet it is such a divisive message because it puts God at the center of the universe. It puts God at the center of our salvation. It, it, it makes our salvation 100% dependent on God. And that is so difficult for us to bear and to understand and to believe. But if we truly believe that the Bible is the word of God, we have to believe it. We have to humble ourselves and say, God is at the center. Let me quote um, Martin Luther. And one of the things he said, he said, no man can be thoroughly humbled until he knows that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, devices, endeavors, will, and works, and depends entirely on the choice, will, and work of another, namely of God alone. And I want to close by reading Paul's words in Romans 11, verse 33 through 36. And this is just a word of praise to God. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he, that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you save sinners like us. We thank you that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom, if we are honest, we are the foremost of those sinners. We are in need of your grace. Help us to submit to your word. Help us to submit to you, to your authority. And thank you, God, for the liberating truth that our salvation is not dependent on our works. It's not dependent on our performance, not dependent on um, our merit but it's 100% dependent on you. Lord, if, if our salvation was dependent on us, we would lose it right away. But it's dependent on you, and we are so grateful for that. Glory be to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.